Hello and welcome to the National Leprechaun Museum's Talking Stories podcast, your home for Irish folklore, mythology and all things storytelling. So, welcome to episode 66. I'm Nisha Odin, joined by the wonderful... Audie Holly. And today we've got an excellent folktale told by none other than our one and only Lenny. It's got everything you could ever want. It has a great setting, uh, you know, the rural Ireland, 19th century, uh, nice family, but it's the kind of uh, affairs and uh, day-to-day life of, of children, which is not something that many of our uh, collectors would have focused on. No, it's one, of, it's one of those classic kind of morality tales, and it's nice to see the child protagonist, because it happens very rarely enough in our stories, as you said. Yes, that's true, that's true. Uh, I do feel like that when Yeats or Croker or Lady Gregory were collecting stories, that you might, they might, when they arrive in the, in the, in the small mud cabin in Connemara, <laughs> uh, want, to, want everyone to talk about the big and the airy stories, the stories of, uh, of, uh, of kings and uh, warriors. But everyone wanted to talk about... Uh, what happened down the road with Mary and Agnes. Exactly right, exactly yeah. right. Well, it's got everything you could ever want. It's got a beautiful setting of Fermanagh, as Fermanagh, I recall. Yeah. Lovely part of, it's yeah. going to say part of the country, part of Ireland. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Around Loch there, gorgeous, gorgeous place, gorgeous uh, scenery uh, in that neck of the woods. But it's, uh, it's also got a topic that uh, comes up in a lot of Irish stories, both uh, the sto- stories as recent as Angela's Ashes, mm. uh, consumption. Oh yes, consumption, uh, <laughs> tuberculosis, which was a plague in Ireland for much of our history, and uh, tuberculosis uh, was called consumption because it literally ate people up. Yeah, from from the inside they got weak and they yeah. got sallow, uh, but much much is made of uh, laughing in the face of death, I yeah. suppose. And uh, on death, it also features a lot of wasted food, which would have been high sin from when the story would have taken place, if you have to think about it. Very taboo, very taboo. You're talking about uh, a society that, uh, you know, when a bird was killed, ate every part of the bird. Yeah. Like the the Grishkins, as they're called, the the neck of the bird and everything. And uh, oh... Yeah, stuff that we would uh, toss out today. But even to this day, when I was growing up, like if you left even a scrap on your plate, the parents would be at you going, think of the poor starving children in the rest of the world. Well, Paddy, you haven't touched your sheep's heart. (laughs) (laughs) Which isn't that bad, actually. It's a bit chewy. I'll I'll have to take your word on it. (laughs) Tough to eat that. But but I think we'll, we'll kick things off with Lenny's story, the wonderful story which we'll begin now. time ago a rich farmer and his wife in the county of Fermanagh they lived beside Loch Erne and they were two kind good-hearted people Uh, they had one daughter now the daughter's name was Meg and to say she was spoiled rotten was an understatement she got whatever she wanted and as far as the two were concerned see the daughter could do no wrong 
and the neighbours absolutely hated to see them coming because they knew she was such a destructive child. When she went visiting round the place to the wakes and the funerals, she'd stand in the middle of the floor and the child would make comments such as, Do you hear our laggie coughing her head off inside? I bet it's her wake next we'll be enjoying. Sure, she's got consumption, doesn't she have? Well, it wasn't just pestering the neighbours. She was off pestering animals, beating the dogs with sticks, pulling feathers out of the hens and chickens and the wings off flies, a terror, and she had her poor mother worn to the bone. Meg often refused to eat what was set in front of her. I can't stomach that rubbish, she'd shout, before throwing perfectly good food on the floor. And her mother was often saying to her, Meg, darling, tell me what you'd like to eat. Now, come on, be a good girl and your dad will take you to the shops. He'll buy you some sweets. In other words, Meg's mother, without meaning to, encouraged her to behave badly. One day, Meg's mother decided to take Meg next door to the neighbours to borrow a bowl of sugar. And when the neighbour's wife saw her coming, she screamed, Quick, quick, put the butter away. Tie the pigs up, hide the hens, hide the eggs, and we'll pray to the Holy Virgin that we'll survive without nothing be broken. Well, Meg came into the house and she took a look around. What did she see before her? Only the gentlest dog it was said in all of her manner, Old Jack. Well, Meg kicks Old Jack awake. Meg pulls Old Jack's whiskers. She begins to tease him and the poor dog accidentally bites her in the side of the hand. Old Jack bit me, Old Jack bit me. He should be shot so he should. He's a dangerous dog. She climbed onto her mother's knee. She begins to sob. There, 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 there. The mother consoles her. Let me kiss you better. And with that, the farmer walked in and he pointed at old Meg and said, that child should be shot and not old Jack. And Meg, she began to feel a bit uneasy with this of the farmer. And when no one was looking, she slithered out, ran out the back door. That old nasty farmer will never catch me, she says. And she runs and she runs and she runs. And eventually, she saw men making hay in the field. And she watches for a few minutes. She hides. She felt a hunger, devouring everything she fancied at the lunch laid out for the men in the field. She threw the rest of the food on the floor and she began stomping, stomping on it as hard as she could. And she thought, maybe, maybe those men would be angry. When they seen I've eaten their lunch, perhaps they'll, they'll get the farmer uh, to shoot me. I better hide. So she goes around the back of the fields, around the back of the hay. And she closed her eyes and fell into a deep sleep. When she woke up, she began to hear a whispering of voice. She peeps through and sees a troop of fairies dressed in green jackets and red hats and small little rakes. That's a terrible child, they began to shout. Somebody should teach her some manners. I hate the way she wastes food. She has her poor mother's heart torn. I hope we catch her some night and have a chance to knock some sense into her. Now, any other child would have been fiercely frightened at a conversation like that happening in front of them, but not Meg. They're old and feeble, she thinks. And I'm big and I'm strong. And I'll teach them a lesson. And with that, she jumps up from behind the hay. Come on, she shouts. Who's going to teach me a lesson? She began running around, knocking absolute lumps out with the fairies, laughing her head off. But they weren't laughing. 
and they didn't say a word, they just looked at her. And one of them shouts, Make a fairy ring! Make a fairy ring! And the wee man quickly formed a ring around Meg. And the fairies moved so quickly they became like a blur so she couldn't stop to see one. They raised their voices in song and they began to say, Light on your toe, light on your heel, one by one in merry, merry reel. Fingers touching, fingers so, round and round and round we go. When the song was finished, the men shouted, Move hand or foot if you can, we Meg. And wee Meg found that she couldn't move a muscle. Open your mouth and come out with those vile statements you're famous for, wee Meg. Meg opened her mouth to scream, but found that her tongue was stuck to the roof of her mouth, swollen and sore. Now have a look at this substitute we have for you, wee Meg. And with that, the fairies brought out the ugliest wee man you could ever see. They laid him on the ground, they started laughing. Meg, horrified. She'd heard of changelings, but by God, she'd never seen one before. And she felt sick as the fairies began to weave a spell. And in the blink of an eye, the ugly wee man, he grew and grew and grew. Till he was a spitting image of wee Meg. Face, hair, dress, boots, the lot. Now, it's time. We'll take you below. And hundreds of pairs of fairy hands grabbed her carried her over to the fairy thorn and they threw her up in the air. Suddenly she felt falling, falling down, down, down through a dark hole, hole, hole until she landed in a pile of leaves. And she looked around and realised she was well and truly in the fairy terrain. But the place was beautiful, the floor covered in scraps of food. You dirty, dirty thing, she says, have you no sense to be keeping the place like this? My mother does all the tidying at home. Well, the fairy started laughing. Meg, that's all the food you've wasted in your life. Here's a rake. Brush it up and eat it when you're hungry. No, 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 yelled Meg. I'll never eat that rubbish. I'm hungry. I want some milk and I want some cake. Well, tough, said the fairies. You can't have anything fresh while all that food lies uneaten. You may starve if you choose. Here's the rake. Tidy the floor. She raked the larger pieces into the corner and swept the small ones into tidy piles. She worked and worked and worked until she was exhausted, every joint in her body aching. She grew hungrier and hungrier. In the end, Meg's hunger forced her to eat her own leftovers. At last, weeks later, she'd finished her task and was given a fresh piece of bread and milk. She vowed she'd never waste food again. Now, we've got another wee job for you say the fairies. And they went into another part of the fairy cave. It was cluttered, dirty, with torn dresses and clothes everywhere. What do you want me to do with this lot? Say Meg. Wash, iron and mend your clothes, say the fairies. You had your poor mother worn. No, 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 won't, 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 say Meg. She stamped her feet and stuck out her tongue as far as it would go. Meg walked around in a temper, kicking clothes, banging walls with her fists and saying bad words. She threw herself on the ground in a temper tantrum. But no one came near her. And she began to realise she felt a bit foolish. She picked herself up and thought, maybe I should start washing, ironing, mending. At least it would be something to do. And for the first time, Meg felt ashamed of herself and her actions in her life. Had she really said so few nice things and been so nasty to everyone she'd met? 
She got down on her hands and knees. She sewed, she scrubbed. The stinging of it causing her hands to become swollen. Her knees felt like two red lumps of burning turf. And her back date. Her joints became sore. But she learned to control her tongue. At last she was finished. She looked around. And for the first time since she'd gone with live with the fairies, she felt happy and the room looked pretty. So pretty it cost her to dance. Now fairies love dancing. So when they saw Meg starting, they began to clap their hands, they began to cheer and they asked Meg, would you like to come up above the ground tonight and dance by the light of the silver moon? I'd love to, said Meg. And that night, for the first time in a year, Meg she smelt newly cut hay. She felt a soft breeze caress her cheek and she saw the green grass under her feet. It was wonderful. Then she remembered her mother had once said, anyone taken by fairies can escape by finding a four-leaf clover and wishing to go home. And she took every possibility, every opportunity to bend down low and looking at the ground for a four-leaf clover. She saw it outlined against her shiny patent black shoe a four-leaf clover. Look! Look what I found! I can have a wish! And I wish I was at home. With that, she woke up in her own tiny bed and her mother sat beside her. Mother, she said, I hope they didn't shoot the dog. He'd never have bitten me had I never tormented the life out of him. You don't sound like yourself, say her mother. What happened to you? We found you fast asleep behind a haystack and that was nearly a year ago. Meg explained how she'd been captured by the fairies and how they had taught her to behave herself. From that day until the day Meg died, she was a changed person. She was thoughtful and kind and gentle and helpful and helped her mother tidy everything, kept a civil tongue in her head and ate every single piece of food put before her. When she grew up, she got married and was believed to have had 17 children. And today, if you walk along the banks in Fermanagh of that lock and see a well-behaved child, the neighbours will probably stop and they'll probably tell you that that child is a great, 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 maybe even great, 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 great grandchild of wee Meg of Loch Ern. And that was fantastic. Really enjoyed listening to that myself. Yeah, it's. Uh, you know what it reminded me of a bit of the the Wizard of Oz. Yeah, yeah. You know the kind of the the, especially when falling asleep in the hay and it was all a dream yeah. kind of moment. Um, Wizard of the Oz, Wizard of Oz. If Toto had bitten Dorothy beforehand <laughs> and possibly infected her with rabies. Yes, yes. I hadn't thought of it like that. Um, but yeah, there is a very much a, a Wizard of Oz element to it. Again, the kind of the 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 child uh, being taught some very important lessons yeah. while they're away in another world is a very important theme. Yeah, I think it's it's one of the interesting ones because we don't often do a lot of moralizing in 
the majority of our well like there's million bits of moralizing within the stories but this one's a very definite moral lesson after moral lesson after moral lesson yeah it's like sometimes the moral of the story is um can be lost on 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 modern readers and yeah. sometimes it's just a kind of really obscure mm. kind of lesson you know like never fall asleep in ulster or something like oh, that. that's a sound advice to this day yeah yeah <laughs> you know so it's um and again it's with the the folk tales again it's the stories are lost in us because we throw away an awful lot of food yeah um ridiculous amount of food there's even organizations in dublin now who collect food that is if you just stand at the back of any random Tesco in Ireland at the end of the day, you see the amount of all the baked goods, freshly baked that morning, thrown out yeah. in plastic bags. And I think there was a campaign against it at one stage, but they weren't even like allowed to give them to anyone who'd want to take them because no. they'd be liable for anything that happened if anything was wrong yeah. with it. Yeah, they didn't want uh, to encourage staff to take it away yeah. either in case the staff might yeah. on purpose you know, not sell enough. Yeah. baked goods or make the the batch of baked goods incorrectly on yeah. purpose you know it's a it's the kind of kind of side of capitalism obviously that makes everyone very uncomfortable yeah and on on the waste the fast fashion like it's kind of shocking to us now to imagine actually mending clothes as opposed to just oh pop into pennies and buy a new yeah. pair yeah. Uh, and the, the fact that the child while they were being taught a lesson by the fairies in the fairy world we're basically taught the kind of household chores yeah. that really should have been should be taught to everyone now before they go off into college. Yeah, definitely. Like my sister went off to college not even knowing how to operate a washing machine or cook an egg. Oh God! Well, I was hopeless as well, you know. Uh, before I when my first couple of years in college with mm. the with the washing up and and the cooking, absolutely uh, hopeless as as my. Former housemates for the test, um, but you know the kind of things that are taught in our home economics class. Yeah, I think maybe the home economics class should be broadened out to yeah. much of uh, to much of the leaving cert today. It should basically just be the how to live on your own class with a slightly more <laughs> academic title. But on that as well, like one of the things that would have been very rare at the time is having only one child in the family. Yes. Like, especially back then, would have been almost unheard of, really. The Yeah, usually the only way a family would end up with only one child is if the other children were dead. Yeah. 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 Uh, which is rather dark. But then, again, the kind of moralizing the, the, the child atmosphere of this mm. story is with the usual uh, thing with 19th century Irish folklore is kind of uh, juxtaposed or put beside... Um, really dark stuff yeah you know there's the kind of uh, dark imagery that you got a lot of that in the recent banshees of inish yeah yeah, yeah. The kind of the humor and the very dark was put side by side to basically to contrast and to highlight each other yeah cause i think it was vivian mercer who talked about the I irish comedy revolving around the macabre yeah. That we take this delight in the go yeah. weird and gory and dark material, but yeah. to have a laugh at it. Yeah. Whereas this one, like you still get that sense of power and danger from the fairies, but they're actually kind of yeah. a more benevolent force within the story. And they kind of gloss over the really darkness yeah. of the changeling coming to replace her. Because wasn't Meg disappeared for a year? Yes. I want to know what the hell was happening in the house during that year that she was gone. Was the body just in the bed while she was... Uh 
psychically somewhere else. Uh, taken to the bed for the year. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and animal cruelty as well. Mm. I don't think the Irish have ever been uncomfortable with animal cruelty. No. I can, I can uh, ten, uh, sense. Because well, the, the animals were part of the family. The, the yeah. cow was brought into the house so they could heat the, the room. P- the pig was the most popular pet beyond cats and dogs for years. Yeah. I, uh, horse racing aside, mm. um, abuse of the, of the family dog. Especially yeah. a dog that you describe as the gentlest it's dog in Fermanagh. Uh, <laughs> abuse of the dog was just not on. No. Really. No, no. But I think, I think that strikes a chord even to this day. Like I know with telling other stories. I can have, say, someone like Cúchulán murder people after pe- like person after person at the Fords of Ireland. You mentioned the fact that he killed the dog. And yeah, suddenly no. everyone gets a bit tense. We do it now today as well. If you're ever watching a like a, a documentary about a serial killer or something, mm. they'll always go back to the moment well, uh, he was very cu- cruel to this animal. Yeah. Or he was, you know, he was the kind of child that pulled the legs off of flies or or put put the uh, magnifying glass to the sun of the ants and burnt them. Yeah, the Jeffrey Dahmer thing of keeping all of their skeletons around the place. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That kind of thing, as if yeah, the two things were. Uh, one led into the other. So, if anything, her abduction to the fairies may well have averted a terrible tragedy later in life. Yes, um, I think so. <laughs> <laughs> uh, because the strikes against her character mm. are the kind of stri- strikes that in 19th century Ireland just weren't on. Yeah. Although animal cruelty, as I said, and uh, food wastage, as, as you were saying, just wasn't on. Yeah, and yeah. the 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 amount it took, took her weeks to clear up the food. Yeah, and yeah, and the and the line, I was I was kind of joking about the mm. consumption or tuberculosis oh, yeah, yeah. being, um, being a big theme in this. But <laughs> the the saying of someone's situation out loud like that without yeah. any sensitivity mm-hmm. is very un Irish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know the way the Irish will 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 talk around trauma so very much yeah yeah like we, we will talk about anything under the sun but we're quite elusive when we're actually talking about something yeah we could yeah. do all everything in our power to not call a spade a spade yeah you know all mental illness is described as they're bad with their nerves or yeah yeah yeah, yeah. or somebody who might have various uh, neurodivergences or problems oh, they've got a poetic disposition Yes, this, they're a soft, they're, they're a delicate person. They're sensitive. Yeah. yeah, yeah. This, this, this scene where the child openly comes out and says that she look at her and listen to her cough. She's she has consumption and she'll be dead in a year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just it would be anathema to yeah. them. I think even if everyone was thinking it, you don't say it. No, 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 definitely not. Um, there's, there's, there's a one of those classic themes as well is very prevalent in it of not judging a book by its cover yeah the first the child is capable of of reform if only mm. uh, but now it did take um being abducted by a supernatural <laughs> creature to do it the child is capable of reform if only mm. you know you give them the chance they'll be able to become a good person yeah um or what they saw as a good person uh, in the 19th century which was growing up and having 17 odd children <laughs> 17 children and being a woman who was good in the house yeah you know um, it'd be interesting actually to hear a feminist reading of this 
actually be quite a good take yeah this is just another example of of uh, the patriarchy getting us down again yeah the patriarchy telling us what a woman should be like yeah uh, but there's a lot of not judging a book by its cover that yeah. the child is capable of reform but also uh, one very interesting thing was when she she said to the fairies that basically they're all small and old yeah but i'm big and strong mm-hmm. but that was very interesting to me because it was it was a case that she had prejudged the fairies that they would be weak because they were small and old yeah and it's dangerous to judge the fairies on appearance mm. but very much it did very much have that kind of 19th century fairy lore quality of that they're they're now the little people Yes. And taking that very literally. Yes. And therefore are all shrunken and old because uh, yeah. I think we discussed it at other points that fairies have great difficulty increasing their population through uh, natural means, shall we say. Mm. But one of the other interesting things on the folkloric elements was uh, the four-leaf clover. Four-leaf clover, yeah, is yeah. Um, uh, is a tricky one because it's... Uh, you know, obviously Ireland is associated with the shamrock. Mm-hmm. The shamrock is a very particular stage in the clover's life. Yeah. And it's all fresh and new. And there's association with that it is the symbol of God and the Trinity mm-hmm. for St. Patrick. Yeah. And it's probably based on the older symbol coming from Greece some mm-hmm. stage about 6,000 years ago. Yeah. But uh, the four-leaf clover in many traditions here at home in Ireland, bad luck. Yeah. So you see it in the field. You leave the field fallow for a year, yeah. Uh, before you before you do anything with it again, like but very f- yeah, very frequently it gets flipped in the so we shall we say Irish American yeah. folklore where it grants like more like this grants wishes or is a sign of good luck and prosperity, but the only kind of positive attributes that I can kind of think of off the top of my head from Irish traditions is it can give you second sight where you can right. actually see the fairy world properly oh, yes, while yes. having it. With, but it's just it seems a bit kind of a bit odd to suddenly have it appear out of nowhere as the wish. Yeah. I've seen that in the in the in the story of the midwife of Listowel in versions of that. That's using what I was the, of. the yeah using it on the eyelids. Yeah. Yeah, and then getting it in your eyes and that kind of thing. Um, but symbol of a uh, symbol of death. Now maybe the Irish Americans liked it because they were much they were much keener on novelty. Yeah. And the Irish were back at home. And, yeah. I think it's also the effect of nostalgia that once once you've been to do it, taken away from like from Ireland itself, yeah. the folklore and the folk tales that come from the country get that rose tinted appeal to them. That suddenly leprechauns are that are there aren't they wonderful? Wasn't it great having the fairies back in the old country? Wasn't it lovely having clover all over the place? Mm. And so you get this kind of softening, softening and gentling of the more dangerous, violent aspects of the tradition. Yeah. I I feel that it's you know the fitting in was so very important mm. in the nineteenth century in Ireland and having your place and being civilized like your neighbours yeah. was so very important that novelty and rarity mm. uh, were something to be very suspicious of. Yeah, I find. Uh, but when you go to countries like the United States and Canada and Argentina, yeah. you can uh, be interested in the novel, in the strange, mm. in the new again, you know. Yeah. So maybe that's part of the reason why the four-leaf clover with its supposed rarity yeah. is uh, is now a good thing rather than a bad. Mm. Uh, 
and this is a and this is a story in some ways as well about fitting in. Yeah, about being a, a normal member of the community. But yeah, it it is that basic tr- transformation from an outsider to one of the in community, where she, she goes from being an absolute terror to perfectly normal, wonderful yeah. woman who's now learned the learned her ways and has joined in with the proper right way to be. Yeah. Now, it'd be interesting to ask Lenny uh, at which stage of the character's journey <laughs> does Lenny like the character more? Yeah. Because perhaps Lenny likes the character most uh, at the, where they're baiting the, uh, the SHIT out of the, out of the fairies. But I think, I think we all slightly do. Yeah. We live in the age where the anti-hero is the thing. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's why stuff like Suicide Squad exists where you're following yeah. the villains. Like you don't really want to, we're not really big fans of regular stand-up heroes yeah. anymore. That's why I have to give Superman a dark edge whenever he appears on screen now. Uh, and it reminded me a lot of the um, the new Hocus Pocus. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. when, when they have the young Sanderson sisters. When uh, young... Mm. Um, oh, what's um, Beth Midler's character? Oh, God, what is her name? Uh, I can't think of it now, but anyway. Oh, we're off the names. Yeah. Her anyway. Yeah, uh, where again, again, character acting out in society, mm. just doing their own thing, uh, being spoilt and a, and a bit mean in the community. Yeah. And then the, the witch finder turns up at the door and tells them, you have to mend your ways. <laughs> but in the case of the modern story of Hocus Pocus 2, yeah. uh, the, um, the character doesn't have to mend their ways. No. I think, as you said, you could have an interesting kind of retake on this and see how you might might try and change it a bit. Mm. Not focus on for fitting in with the community. But then again, she was a little terror. Yeah. <laughs> to be perfectly honest. I mean, as we've discussed before, threatening the dog might be yeah. that one step too far. Beating the hell out of the fairies. Absolutely yeah. fine. Go for it. Don't yeah. touch the animals, though. Yeah. Bit of a Shiva the Destroyer coming yeah. in there, <laughs> and uh, for one last topic, mm. um, very important topic before we before we leave, uh, dog names. Yeah, the dog was named Joe, was it? Joe or Jack? Jack, Jack, Jack you're Jack. right, Jack. Jack the dog. Yeah. Okay. Right. Uh, I'm not a big fan of giving people names to dogs. Okay. To be right. Right. Me neither. Um, I just think you're missing on a golden opportunity. Like yeah. there's so many interesting names you can give them. Uh, Benji. Yeah. Or Shep. Shep. Or just dog. Yeah, yeah. We had a neighbour actually who had a dog called Puppy. Really? Yeah, yeah. Our first ever dog. Well, a first ever dog we owned because we had to take care of another dog called Dove. Uh, for those who don't know, Irish or black, despite the fact that he was not a black dog. But um. <laughs> We also it's ironic. <laughs> I wouldn't even say ironic. It was kind of half, half black, half beigey. It just yeah. felt like the the owner, previous owner to us, had been a bit lazy with naming him. But my what... my brother named uh, a dog after the golfer Tiger Woods. Named him Tiger, <laughs> even though um, the dog couldn't play golf. Of course, yeah. He's more of a fan of badminton. <laughs> but uh, then the other dog we inherited again because we were a menagerie when I was growing up was Lucky. We wanted to change the name so badly. 
but it's it's equivalent of spot to me. Like who the, yeah. who names their dog Lucky in the twentieth century? Uh, no. But the first one we actually owned and could name was Valcor. And you probably wow. know the reference to that. I do, yeah. yeah but do you want to explain it to the listeners? It's from the wonderful 1980s movie Never Ending Story. Never Ending Story. <laughs> but, the, but very importantly, it's actually technically not named after that. Because um, my sister technically owned the dog and she got to name him. And she said Valcor. Now, we later learned out that learned that in the actual movie, he's Falcor with an F. Ah. This goes back to a classic problem my sister had of confusing her V's with her F's for most right. of her for until she was like 15. It was furniture, not furniture. Okay. But now very much so, V-A-L-C-O-R. Wow. So I suppose in uh, this podcast, we could say it was in memory of Valcor, yeah. not Falcor. Yeah. And on that, I think we'll... We'll leave it there. Thank you very much for listening. I've been Nisha. And I was Paddy Holly. And hopefully we'll see you next time. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the National Leprechaun Museum's Talking Stories podcast. Remember the best way to support us is by liking, subscribing and sharing with a friend. <laughs>